Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Namaste, yogis. I'm Andrew Seeley here to welcome you to the Yoga Revealed podcast. I believe one of the most enlightening things that you can do for yourself is immerse your mind, body, and spirit in the daily practice of yoga. Yoga is union, and when we unite, we inspire to share the light, to uplift this world. Your path to awakening to the transformative power of yoga starts now. The first sort of example, the first lesson I got from the physical practice of yoga was that um, it's okay that life burns sometimes, and it's okay that um, it's okay that you might not like that, and it's also going to be okay because everything is cyclical. Reunited, and it feels so good. Today, I'm absolutely stoked to release this yoga revealed episode with the man who introduced me to the deep practice of self-inquiry that is yoga, Rocky Heron. As some of you know, I absolutely revere and love my teachers to the highest of highs. And my most impactful teacher in the beginning stages of my yoga practice has always been Rocky. In this outstanding episode, Rocky and I go deep into the evolution of teaching yoga as technology and connection continues to create challenges that bring forth creative solutions. So, tap in and dive deep in this exciting episode of the Yoga Revealed Podcast with Rocky Heron. Namaste, yogis, and welcome to another outstanding episode of the Yoga Revealed Podcast. I am absolutely ecstatic to be sitting across from my first teacher, one of the most authentic yoga teachers that I've ever had the opportunity of encountering, the one and only Rocky Heron. How are you feeling today? I'm feeling great now. How could you not feel great after someone says all that lovely stuff about you? Thanks, Andrew. <laughs> it's only the truth, man. I only speak the truth. And it's been an absolutely incredible journey uh, learning from you over the past seven years now. Five, six, seven. Twenty? 20 years. It's been 20 years. It's and been between 5 and 20 years. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's actually, yeah, 5, because it was 2012. So that would be 7. <laughs> See? <laughs> I'm really good at yeah. math, too, you guys. I, I was just want his, you to know that. I was his first math teacher, 
I failed him, but I made up for it by teaching him yoga. <laughs> and that's where our relationship began. Yeah. Yeah, and good old San Luis Obispo. I was just there last week. Ooh, how was it? Beautiful as ever, and yeah. charming as ever, and... Community still growing? Oh, yeah. Awesome. Yeah, it's really... Uh, I teach there at the yoga center. Shout out to Slow Yoga Center. Yeah, and the stack houses. Yeah, just, I mean, I got, you know, I stayed with their family. I feel like they're my family, you know. Um, and it's really, it's deeply satisfying to watch how that community has grown over the years. Because it was, it was, a, it was a great community when I first moved there, but I, I feel like I played a, a role in at least cultivating a lot of desire and intention for the expansion of, of the community there. So going back and seeing how that's manifested and continues to is dope. Yeah. And I got to tell the listeners a little story because um, really how we met was very synchronistic. It was actually after the Yoga Journal conference, the first conference that I had the opportunity to check out different yoga classes that were not Bikram yoga. Mm Because at the time I was practicing Bikram yoga every single day Mm -hmm. when I was working at Mind Body part time. Mm -hmm. And I literally came back from this Yoga Journal conference completely like on fire, ready to learn yoga called up uh, the yoga center slow and at the time you know I think it was I'm pretty sure it was actually Travis who picked up the phone mm-hmm. and um, shout out to the Bobbits yeah the Bobbits the the old school yoga uh, connoisseurs and curators <laughs> of the the yoga slow um, yeah and they had one more spot left in the teacher training and I was like let's make this happen and I showed up to teacher training, I think it was on Friday when it started. Like, yeah. If, yeah. And I, I, I showed up, like, completely ready, thinking it was, like, Bikram yoga. <laughs> you know, like, had my little skivvy shorts on, like, ready to go. And everyone's, like, sitting with their notebooks out. And I was like, oh, well, here I am. <laughs> you you made a, a very memorable first impression, Andrew. <laughs> you lit, like... You think, Think of how many people in my life I've like tried to cultivate, you know, relationship with, or tried tried to to f- connect with them, or and you literally just walked right into my life. <laughs> I had no idea you were coming. You, know, you signed up last minute, and the first day was yeah. We we, we met on Friday nights, and so uh, and then all day Saturday Sunday. So the Friday night was more kind of lecture and get to know you and and uh, less practice based and so the thing was March too so it wasn't particularly warm outside <laughs> and then in walks Andrew and like t- like pretty skimpy <laughs> I mean those are my uh, purple Bikram shorts yeah. man I mean it's skimpy is relative to the style of yoga you're practicing they might have been very modest uh Bikram shorts but relative to a lecture based um meet and greet for teacher training Andrew walks in with purple short shorts and and flip-flops and is ready to go. And I was like, all right, my life will never be the same. And it hasn't. It hasn't, right? It's, it's been an incredible journey thus far. And um, I feel like I really want to start with um, where your yoga journey began, because I feel that over the years I've witnessed um, not only your teaching completely transform, but also your whole being as a as a just as a very informed teacher like it really comes down to like getting to know you from a teaching perspective but also from a friend perspective has been very eclectic Mm -hmm. and I would say that when it comes to teachers you're one of the most authentic that I've ever met in the sense that you're able to grok 
all of the experiential learning that you have into what you're teaching, which brings a deeper sense of resonance towards how we're all evolving as practitioners. So I want to start with where your practice began and who were some of the first teachers who really guided your practice? Um, first of all, I need to make it a point to use grok in a sentence more often because that was uh, incredible. Um, <laughs> let's see, where did my, my teaching practice begin? It's, it's hard to say when it began because, I mean, I can tell you that the, when I took my first yoga class, which also really wasn't my first, like I had been brought to a class with my mom when I was a teenager, which I guess was my first yoga class. But I think as is true of so much, including our very existence, like it began before it began, mm. you know, like, did you start, did you begin when you were born or when you were conceived or when your parents met or um, when their parents met? So in that way, I feel like yoga has always been a part of my life. There were aspects of the practice that my mom always facilitated in, you know, in my experience growing up from if there was something that we wanted to achieve, we would visualize. Uh, if I had trouble sleeping, she would teach me to meditate on my breath. Mm. Uh, and I don't think that she was, you know, I don't think she would have called herself a yogi. She wasn't like a practitioner. She was definitely committed to mindful living and exploring uh, as many different modalities and, and ways to facilitate that as she could. And I think much like me, um, the way that she helped herself integrate those teachings, those lessons were by teaching them to someone else. Mm -hmm. um, she's a nurse practitioner with who also has studied a lot of holistic um, medicines and, and treatment modalities. And so I think that, that her commitment to health and, and well-being mentally, physically, and, and spiritually uh, was something that I, I reaped the benefit of without even realizing it. So when I did enter my first yoga class, or even that whole kind of season of my life, I was 18, I was living in LA. Um, I was going to school, I was studying acting uh, at the American Academy of Dramatic Arts. And I had become interested in how, essentially how I could, how I can make my life flow better. I was really overwhelmed by life and by, I mean, not that I'm not overwhelmed now, but at that time, just, you know, moving out on my own and wanting to achieve something that was where the odds were stacked against me in terms of like the entertainment industry. I thought there must be some way to leverage greater success in my life. And, it, and where that led me was an interest in um, different Eastern philosophies and quantum physics and meditation and, you know, all self, self and personal development techniques. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was around that time that I went to my first yoga class. It was power yoga class at uh, Brian Kess studio in Santa Monica. Wow. And it felt, I think I've always been someone that's been quite cerebral and quite contemplative. And um, I, I, as, as much body as I have, I, I tend to, my energy tends to get concentrated in my brain. Um, and so even though the teacher wasn't necessarily speaking to all these things that I had been interested in, 
I found that the physical practice gave me an opportunity to put them into practice in the microcosm of a 90-minute, you know, movement experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and I and I knew that there was something to that. So I, I, I kept at it. And I still, I mean, I keep at it for the same reasons. Mm. I think that the asana practice is, you know, one of my teachers, Noah, Noah Maze, I heard him say once that anytime you practice asana well, you are practicing, you're putting into practice yoga philosophy or, you know, some aspect of yoga philosophy. Mm -hmm. And I like that idea that I don't have to be thinking about all the things. I can just do skillfully what I'm doing in in the moment. And that can be an opportunity to embody philosophy, concepts, ideas. Definitely. And with that being said, you know, who were some of the early teachers who helped you embody those um, philosophical ideas into the skillful practice of daily living? Well, as always, teachers have many different, I mean, teachers enter your life in many different contexts. So I think one of the first yoga teachers that really made an impact on me, like I, I, she was one of the first teachers that I knew of that was recording classes. And so when I wasn't at studio, I was able to take her class, it was audio recordings. Wow. Um, <laughs> and it was Ali Hamilton, who uh, several years later opened up uh, Yogi's Anonymous in Santa Monica. Um, but I used to take a lot of her classes, and I think so many of the things that she said were etched in my mind because of her her audio classes. Mm-hmm. When, I, when I first started teaching, the things that would come out of my mouth, I found were very similar things that, uh, to what she was saying. And it was all very practical um, wisdom. Can you give us some examples? I mean, I think, like, the examples I would give were are relative to what I heard at that time. So I'm sure she was saying a lot of things, but... Um, the first sort of example, the first lesson I got from the physical practice of yoga was that um, it's okay that life burns sometimes. And mm-hmm. it's okay that um, it's okay that you might not like that. And it's also going to be okay because everything is cyclical. And at, at that time, it was like every pose, everything I did burned so much. And the moment I got into anything, I... I just, I, I either thought I was going to die, I couldn't do it. Like there was so many, there was so much noise in my experience, so much feedback in my, in my tissues that um, it took, it took a lot of practice to learn how to breathe through things, not just to endure them, but to recognize that some of the things that burn are actually helping to transform and transmute who you are in a positive way. Um, and I think that gave me a, I was able to apply that to my life outside of the practice. Mm. Yeah. And with that being said, I mean, you're what, like six foot five? I'm six six. Wow. How dare you? I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I mean, he's really tall, really tall. I'm like five foot eight. So looking at you, I just figure you're a giant. Yeah, um, giant status. <laughs> and with that, um, I really admire your practice because you're able to do handstands, Penchamayarasana, all these different really incredible postures, and you have a great flexibility and a really deep understanding of, I would just say, anatomical alignment. And witnessing this, I feel like, um, you know, a lot of people who come to practice handstands with me, you know, like, they're always like, oh, like, how much of your your body type is attributed to your strength or attributed to what you're able to do? And I'm like, you know, 
our bodies are like this karmic predicament. They are a physical manifestation of how we show up in the world. Mm -hmm. And with that being said, you know, our bodies do give us some challenges. So was your early practice very challenging? I mean, yeah, for sure. <laughs> for sure. Like I said, every, everything burned. Everything burned, and I had a lot of beliefs about my body at that time, too. Like, there's so much... It, it's hard to know, you know, what of your quote-unquote physical limitations are are changeable, are adaptable, and what aren't. And I think the direction of, that science and, and, and research in different areas seems to be pointing to is that more of it is changeable than we might um, believe or might have previously believed. Um, but it, it does still take a certain level of discernment and uh, patience to, to know. To, to know what you can change, to know what you can't, like the serenity prayer, or even the opening sutra of the second chapter. Of, mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I've, I've, my relationship with my body, I think, is the biggest thing that, that has changed through the practice of yoga, in that I came to yoga as a pretty lanky... I wouldn't say I was disembodied, but I didn't really have a, a deep appreciation for my physical body. Um... And I had gotten tall pretty quickly in high school, so I, I also just hadn't really acclimated to who I was in the world in, in a physical sense. So I feel as though the practice helped me learn how to inhabit my, myself and gave me an appreciation for all that I all that I was in a very literal literal sense. Because, you know, I, I would sort of describe my experience of embodiment as like I'm sort of this tiny seed of of a person or consciousness inside this massive like tree trunk of a body <laughs> and uh so i, I think th those would be the benefits of the practice for me then shifting into certain poses or movements or skills so i think i had a lot of beliefs about my body about what i could and couldn't do what was safe for me to do um and even what I was interested in doing. I didn't show up to yoga having an interest in learning how to do a handstand. I didn't even know that was something that I'd be asked to do mm. in, in a yoga class. Um, my very well-meaning mom, when I was younger, had told me never to do a headstand because she had done it once um, and hurt herself, you know, <laughs> you know, not doing it well. And so she wanted to pass that wisdom along to me. So there's so many things that we have, so many beliefs we have about who we are that become self-fulfilling prophecies. Whereas like I very well could have done that first headstand in a yoga class, heard my mom's voice in my mm -hmm. mind saying, this isn't safe and I could feel unstable and have hurt myself. Um, so I think what I've had to embrace or understand or unpack is that there are things that I am mechanically advantaged for just being the size that I am and things that I'm not. I wouldn't say handstand is not a pose that comes easily to me. Um, I remember like in, in our teacher training program, like as we're first getting to know each other, you're already like pressing up into handstand, not to take away from like your, your journey around that pose and how much time and energy you've put into it. But that's a skill I've been working on for probably 10 years and it still is elusive to me. So I won't stop working on it, but I have to also acknowledge that might be something that I'm not can you know, long-limbed, long-legged person that I am, short torso, the physics of it are not insurmountable, but they're different for me than they are for somebody else. Uh, so I think it's always, 
you know, and I probably just did this to you and I would recommend not doing this to anybody, but people do see me and as who I am now, which is the result of years of adaptations, both in yoga practices and all of my movement practices. And they might assume that I'm, I don't know, lucky. Like I, of course, you know, of course you can do this. You're you. I'm like, well, I am me because I practiced, <laughs> you know, like that's, that's what's contributed to me being me. Yeah. Years um, of being embodied. Yeah, I mean, just years of all the things that we, all the things that we do that we do consciously as practice, and all the things that we do unconsciously as our habits contribute to who we are. Uh, so I'm, I'm grateful for any, any reflections that come back that I'm doing well, and I appreciate that certainly from people like you that have known me over an arc of time and have seen the, you know, witnessed the journey that I've, that I've been on. So thank you for continuing to see me and mm-hmm. substantiate my journey. Yeah, and I I feel like, you know, (laughs) substantiating your journey is just a reflection of the time, effort, and deep conviction that you have in really bringing yoga to the forefront of being a healing practice. And one thing that I've really witnessed in the evolution of your teachings is how you've gone from, I would say, teaching like a, a very deep vinyasa um, focused on really a, a lot of tapas, a lot of deep integration of the breath, and uh, you know a lot of core work, that kind of thing. To now, I used to serve tapas at the end of all my vinyasa practices. Oh, too. I we love have tapas. A, we do a menu of small plates and tapas with tapas. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> takes tapas to get through all those tapas. Truth. Um, so <laughs> now, now, now you're uh, definitely teaching a more hatha-based practice that um, includes. I would say some some deeper uh, ties into what I would call like understanding of body mechanics and mobility. Mm-hmm. So tell me how that transition has occurred and what have been some of the the focal points around that transition. Um, well, a lot of it. First of all, I'd say a lot of it is sort of semantics. Whether we call it vinyasa or whether we call it hatha or whether we say we're fo- like. A practice that's that's in my opinion a practice that's focused on on tapas is going to look this way whereas a practice that's focused on uh swadhyaya is going to look this way um i think that a lot of those things can show up in a lot of different contexts and a lot of different aspects of our life but i i would agree with you that that in in, in a broader sense the arc of my teaching has has shifted more from kind of a flow-based practice uh, to, it's not that it's not flow, but I'm, I'm usually up to more specific things than, than sun salutations. Um, but I think in regards to, to what you referenced before about bringing yoga to the forefront, I it's not that I feel passionately about bringing yoga to people, to humanity. It's that I feel I feel more passionate about about contributing to the beneficial evolution and adaptation of of our planet and of humanity and yoga is one of the tools that i'm able to use to facilitate that both for myself and for other people but i'm not i'm not so interested in what we call it you know like it's a good idea to like if you're if you're having an anxiety attack um I'm not a medical professional, so if you are, like, don't. This wouldn't be the advice to, to necessarily <laughs> follow. But if if someone that you that you loved was was feeling stress or overwhelm, you would tell them to take some deep breaths, 
And you don't have to call that pranayama or ujjayi or what samavritti or whatever you want to call it for it to be physiologically beneficial to that person. And I think because I didn't have much language around the human body and human movement, and when I started teaching, the only language I had was relative to hatha yoga um, and the yoga system at, at large. So I think I've, I've, my vocabulary has just increased where I can look at something like vinyasa and call it vinyasa, or I can look at something like ujjayi pranayama and call it that, or I could, I could call it parasympathetic breathing. And so as, as my toolbox expands of the things that I can teach and facilitate, so, so too does the, the way that I combine those ingredients and what I call it. Um, and I, I recognize as well that I don't think we can really benefit anybody if we just prescribe them to do the same thing every day or the same type of practice or call it the same thing. I'm a big uh, advocate and, and believer in the notion that diversity in every way is kind of the key to health. Mm-hmm. And, and, I, and that applies also like to the way we practice yoga, the way we, the way we align our poses, um, our preferences in terms of like, time of day, all the different variables that, that surround how we practice. Uh, I like to shake those, shake those up a lot. And so it would be inauthentic for me to continue teaching in the way that I used to because I have more information now. So I still mm-hmm. teach vinyasa. I still love vinyasa. But that's one of the strategies that I have or one of the techniques that I have to facilitate my goal. Awesome. And with that being said, I really want to touch into some of kind of like what what you see in really good teachers. What is the reoccurring theme that you witness in the teachers who inspire your practice today? Uh, all of my favorite teachers are individuals that really, really love learning. And I think if you don't love learning, you can't really effectively teach because part of part of loving learning means loving unlearning, which can be uncomfortable, especially when you teach. Because as you unlearn something, you also have to, or I don't know if you have to, but for me, as I unlearn something, what comes along with that is a sort of recollection of all the people that, that I have taught that thing that I'm unlearning to. Mm. You know what I mean? Which, which can be uncomfortable and it can raise the stakes a lot about what you're, what you're learning. So at this point that has happened so much that I recognize it's not only unavoidable, it's essential. Like I, I, I have to be able to teach to the best of my knowledge uh, on any given day, but I also have to be willing to change change my mind as I'm presented with more compelling evidence or information. And hopefully my students get that sense too, because as I teach now, I don't, I, I seldom use words like always or never. Um, I, the context of anything that I teach is never, this is the right way uh, versus the wrong way. It's, it's always, this is the choice we're making today. You know, let's see what happens. <laughs> I, I, I have enough evidence, uh, I've connect, co- collected enough data in certain areas to, to know or to at least be able to predict like, the scientific process that, you know, 
x plus y equals z, but such is the nature of living in a karmic universe. Like there's the prob there's the probability of something happens. There's there's the consequences of of our actions, um, but there's also there's that there's that dance of improbability. Um, so to answer your question, my favorite teachers are all teachers that I see continuing to adapt and evolve and and sort of wade um, comfortably in the realm of uncertainty and and I don't know you mm. know I, I've I, I love learning from from like the smarty pants like the scientists <laughs> and the, the 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 researchers and all this because those are the people that I hear saying I don't know the most yeah. You know, it's usually kind of the, the very well-meaning, not just yoga teacher, but but relative to them, kind of a novice that I hear making really definitive, clear statements. Con- yeah, <laughs> strongly convicted statements. Um, and though those are the teachers I don't love practicing with or learning from the most, only because it feels it feels more rigid. And I, I like the paradox of of maybe. Yeah, I, I would see that's that's a lot of. Uh what resonates between us as well because i feel that the reason that i continue to come back to your classes seven years after you know my yoga teacher training is simply because you're constantly questioning how we can better adapt to this time now Mm -hmm. and i feel that when you have a teacher who's constantly doing that it only leads for growth because you're obviously moving outside of your comfort zone and really taking the time to assess how you can utilize the knowledge that you've learned to benefit your future. Mm-hmm. And I, I really value that. Um, I wanted to tap into how you have witnessed the yoga industry change from the time that you first started <laughs> teaching. Seriously, yeah, no, to, to, like, to now. Well, back in my day. Like... <laughs> well, I mean, how long have you been teaching? Uh, I've, been, I've been teaching for 13 years. Yeah, so that, that's a good that's a good amount of time. You know, I feel like I'm that's, I'm, it's a good amount of time. No, no, I, I I'm not making fun of the question. It's it's, it's amusing to me how much things have changed. That mm-hmm. that you know, I'm I like to think I'm still a relatively young man, <laughs> and yet I do feel like I like I could say back in my day, relative to teaching, uh, which is I was twenty. I mean, I was twenty years old when I did my teacher training. So your listeners can do the math <laughs> on my on my age, but. Um, from my experience, like uh, there's so many branches to this industry that we're in. And I think maybe the ways that it's changed is that there's now so many more branches to the yoga industry that I don't even, that I'm not even aware of. You know, when I first started practicing, part of it's just my exposure, but when I first started practicing, um, I was aware that there were people that were teaching at yoga studios and there were some people that had made like DVDs or videos and also probably written books. And I was aware of maybe about five or 10 of those people. And they were kind of the, the, the famous yoga teachers out there, the popular yoga teachers. And and most of them had gotten to that point because they had been teaching at studios for a long time and then wanted to uh, convey their, their knowledge, their teaching to more people outside of where they could reach. And who were some of those teachers, just to give us reference? Um, I remember uh, O'Brien Kest. I remember, I'm, I, I still I don't just remember them, they're still around. <laughs> um, Sean Korn, uh, Rodney Yee, 
the, those are the ones that were that were on my radar when I first started. But again, I was I was practicing at one studio. The teachers that I was aware of were the ones that were teaching at that studio. Those were the famous yoga teachers in my world. Were the local the local teachers in Santa Monica that had sometimes like over a hundred people crammed into the donation studio. So that felt like it felt like I was at the epicenter of like where yoga was happening because at those. At, those numbers, it just felt like this is this is my whole world. This is my whole yoga world. Um, then I was aware that some teachers were leading retreats once a year. Most teachers would take their community or parts of their community somewhere once a year and do a retreat. Um, and a couple I saw were doing teacher trainings. And so all the changes that I've... Not to say other stuff wasn't happening, but that's all I was aware of. I remember in my teacher training... Um, one of my friends started uh, the website Yogi Chocolate, which was, <laughs> that was she started that during. Do you remember that site? That I actually do not remember okay. that site. Before, it's before your days, honey. <laughs> uh, but this was, uh, it was. She wanted to create an online equivalent of uh, of the yoga studio, which was donation based, mostly power yoga. And so, the premise of the site was you could go on and pay a donation to download an audio recording of a teacher's class. And any teacher could just upload audio recordings of their classes on, on the site and receive a donation for people to download it. And that was the first, as far as I'm aware, that was the first online yoga offering or platform in existence. Hmm. So I used that site a ton, and it was shortly thereafter, or you know, several years after, that I think Yoga Glow started and I was able to take classes with teachers online and, and actually like see them teaching and, you know, I, which has given rise to now however many different online digital platforms that, and apps now that offer yoga. So I think just access. And I would say that similar changes have happened. I'm also a musician. I've seen similar changes happen in the music industry where it used to be you would grow a local following that then would become a, Re- word would spread and you'd be- get a regional following, then perhaps a national, then an international following. And now it's all open platform. Like you could be, I know people that haven't even done their teacher training, but they have an Instagram page that presents them to the world as this yoga expert um, with however many hundreds of thousands of followers and beautiful images and a beautiful practice. And they're getting invited to teach and present all over the world and they haven't even um, taught a class before so it's 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 exciting it's also a little troubling and and it it's just it, it is what it is and so uh i think it's in a world where everybody is given equal opportunity to present themselves through their own channel um to the world uh Dot, dot, dot. I don't know. I don't know what that produces. But that I think the changes I've seen happen in the yoga industry are probably the same changes that have happened in, in, other, in many other industries as it relates to access and exposure um, and opportunity. And do you feel that with uh, greater access as yoga being uh, more accessible to more people, whether that be online or in person, is that allowing the, um, the yoga industry to do more good? Or do you feel that, um, you know, some of those, say, quote unquote, people who are uh, 
have the validity online but may not be as educated in person Mm -hmm. would you say that that's kind of like a hindrance to the yoga community or is it something that you know you would say is positive to have more yoga accessible to more people well for sure i think the the more access we have to something the better i think it does require a heightened level of discernment because just because there's a lot of something doesn't mean that there's a lot that all of it is quote-unquote good um but with something like yoga and movement like it's inevitable that people are going to be misinformed by very knowledgeable people and very you know inexperienced people and i'm inclined to think that you know if someone is able to open up an app uh wherever they are and practice 10 minutes of mindful movement um, regardless of if it's the most expertly crafted sequence or if all of the cues or, or um, information the teacher is offering is 100% accurate, I think that's better than not. And if the alternative of, of that is that you can only practice when you have... Like when I first, back in my day, <laughs> every class was 90 minutes. And most of those classes would go 15 minutes over. <laughs> so that's, like, that's still so encoded in me. I'm like, oh, if a class ends 15 minutes late, that's ending on time. Because that was just <laughs> what I got used to. So every class was 105 minutes of yoga, pretty much. Wow. Um, and I didn't even, I didn't have it in my, in my awareness, like in my frames of reference, that, um, that you could just move or breathe for 15 minutes, and that could be yoga. I thought it was this very specific context that I, I had um, I had experienced. So... Yeah, I think it's great that more people have access to something because th- there there are huge swaths of of the population that have no interest in going to a 105-minute yoga class. And if, if that means they're never going to do yoga, then I would be happy to see them doing, you know, 20 minutes of one of my classes on Yoga International um, as as a way to, to move in the direction of... of deeper embodiment and like somatic processing Hmm. I like that Um, because I feel that you know with the amount of technology that we have we're now offering so many different types of yoga did you like my plug I had a little plug in there for yoga international (laughs) I did hear that Um, (laughs) and with that being said you know so many different types of yoga is being offered to the world which allows all the different types of people who wish to practice yoga to practice it in different ways that Mm -hmm. resonate more with them Mm -hmm. and um you know that does bring me to this idea of you know all these different platforms we've got yoga glow you've got aloe moves you've got yoga international you've got you know yoga joint you've got so many different online platforms for people to experience yoga yet and still there's not really a I mean, is Yoga Alliance the the <laughs> the the founding member that's going to uh, be the? <laughs> if we if we have to look to them to set precedent and standard, I think we're doomed. No so, shade so on Yoga who, Alliance. So but who, I don't think that. They're... Yeah. So who does you know set the the precedents for what is yoga and and how <laughs> we can how we can uh, better understand what it means to be a yoga teacher in today's society. I mean, that's a really great question. I The first thing that comes to mind is that nobody should set the precedent on what yoga is. You know, it's different when we're talking about something like Pilates, which is the last name of the man that created it. Mm-hmm. Um, e- even so, like I was talking to 
one of my friends, um, shout out to Trina Altman, about about Pilates, and she was telling me, you know, it used to be called Contrology before it was called Pilates. Before <laughs> it was called Pilates, and the premise was that it was a series of exercises that would help you become more in control of your body. Mm-hmm. Um, now we might call that like active flexibility or active mobility, functional, you know, functional mobility training. Um, but then it, it, it turned into the name Pilates, which then brought its own host of issues because now, because that's someone's last name, that person becomes the authority on what is and isn't that thing. And then after he's no longer around, after he passes away, then people have to then argue about what he meant by this and meant by that, when ultimately it's the overall principles that govern it that I would assume is what he was trying to convey and teach. So in likewise with yoga, there's no word in English that means the same thing as yoga. So there's inevitably going to be lots of different interpretations of it. I think that's true a lot of, at least a lot of Sanskrit, like there's not, there's not direct translations of these words. And so we have to kind of dance around a lot of different ideas to mm-hmm. get to the central meaning of what it's trying to convey, which to me is interesting, but to other people might be um, cause for debate and disagreement. Um, so anybody that ever wants to say to me, this is what yoga is, or, or this is what, or what you're doing isn't yoga or is yoga, um, that, always, that always lets me know more about that person than it does about yoga. Mm. And like you said, like there's a lot of, there's a lot of, uh, because there's more access to different types of yoga, we can find yoga that resonates more with us. And on the one hand, I, I like that. I like that we can kind of cater to our preferences. The practice itself has a lot of elements in it that are meant to do that, to meet you where you're at. And uh, appeal to your sentiments. I also recognize that a lot of the benefits of the practice are more frictive and are more disruptive. Certainly, certainly the nature of progress or stepping outside of your comfort zone, as you said, requires us to do things that maybe don't resonate with us. Um, for the for the purpose that that's the top us, like we got to cook ourselves a little bit, so we can so we can adapt and change and grow. Um, yeah, I do think there needs to be some type of, I would hope there needs to be some type of standardization in terms of what we can, or, or at least clearly identifiable um, terms and in, uh, or, or guidelines in terms of the scope of our, of our practice as teachers and what it is that we need know about in order to teach uh, safely and effectively and responsibly. And if, we, if we're teaching Hatha Yoga, if we're teaching movement, you know, massage therapists need a certain degree of licensing. It's different, you know, state by state and maybe even county by or uh, county by county. I'm not totally sure, but because they're touching people and offering kind of manual manipulations of people's tissues, which is intimate. And even though not all of us as yoga teachers are touching people with our hands, we are still touching them with our words with our instruction, with our beliefs. There's a lot of, and when people are in a very heightened state of suggestibility. So I take that charge very, I don't want to say seriously, but that's, it's, it's a, it's a big responsibility, uh, that I take on. And because of that, I am the one that holds the standard for myself. And I Mm. think, you know, ideally 
everybody individually to the extent that you want to define what yoga means to you you also have to define what your what your ethics are within the scope of 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 your teaching and your character and and your knowledge and and your your means to continuously learn and uh and hold yourself accountable to expert level status mm-hmm. you know it can be intimidating because like, you do a 200 hour teacher training like I would I would hope that one of the takeaways in a 200 hour training is how much you don't know like how much there is to know and that's for sure what continues I I titles get thrown around thrown around as it relates to me these days that are very flattering you know expert uh uh master <laughs> these kind of things like master teacher yeah. and um while I I recognize like that is that is earned in terms of the amount of hours I've spent doing this and and my experience. Um, the more you the more you know, the more you realize you don't. So I feel less inclined to think of myself as an expert now than probably I even did ten years ago, mm. because um, as I said before, I I wade around a lot in the I don't knows and and maybe I can model that in a beneficial way for people that quote unquote masters or experts don't know everything in fact they might realize how little they do know and that's what makes them an expert hmm. what are some of the core values that you hold to be true in bringing forth yoga in a responsible way as a teacher i want three of them three core values three core values for responsible teachers today i'm gonna say empower over fearmonger right i think that and i'm not a parent but i can imagine this would apply (laughs) to a parent um, child dynamic as well Mm -hmm. that uh part of responsibility part of what comes along with responsibility is the notion of keeping what you are responsible for alive which means protecting it from harm and i think a lot of teachers again very well-meaning teachers um take that responsibility to heart and really want to keep their students safe, which can look like a lot of boundary setting and rules and um, information that is, in my in, in my opinion now, um, not only a bit reductive in terms of the always or the never, but actually, um, interestingly enough, ironically enough, long-term is what ends up harming their students. You know, telling someone to always do something in this very specific way and never do it in any other way is probably going to end up creating some kind of repetitive stress, right? Even if it's the best, quote-unquote, best way, Mm -hmm. right? So I think it's way more empowering to teach your students how to have more options than how to have fewer options in everything. So that's a core value, number one, empower over fearmonger. Another is what I said before, always always be learning you know and that can be mm-hmm. continuing to take workshops or trainings but also to use every class you teach as a learning opportunity the moment we get so comfortable in what we're doing that we we are not interested in feedback both the feedback that we can see from from our, our students the feedback that we can feel um, just in our own assessment of, of, of our experience as teachers and, and the feedback that we receive, like verbally, that we ask for from our, our teachers, our peers, and our students. 
um, then our teaching becomes sort of stagnant, right? Like you've been practicing with me for a while now, and I love that you're able to articulate how I'm a different teacher now than I was before. Um, and the ways that you that you can identify that, it, first of all, it helps me kind of quantify my experience and my journey. Um, but if you'd said to me, oh, I, I loved your classes back then because they were like this, and I still love them now because they're still like this. Um, <laughs> you know, that, that wouldn't be a bad thing, but but that would show me that I actually haven't continued to evolve. Mm. Um, so that would be my second core value. And my third, my third core value for responsible teaching. Um, I, I guess this kind of goes along with, with the learning, but, uh, well, maybe I have four. <laughs> I was going to say, I'm just referencing part conversation thus far, but being willing to step outside of your comfort zone, which is part mm -hmm. of learning, um, being willing to try new things in new ways, um, both, you know, quote unquote, on and off the mat or in and out of the seat of teacher. Um, oh, maybe I'll leave it there. Okay, no yeah. bonus round? A bonus lightning B round. bonus round! <laughs> Core values of teachers. Um, just always show up looking on point. You know what I'm saying? Matte bag, good. coordinated with the with the shirt, coordinated with the playlist. I want everything dialed in. I want everything on fleek. <laughs> on fleek. Well, you see that? Those are the core values. And the bonus yeah, actually right. counts the most. Yeah, really. That's You can <laughs> edit that to put that first. <laughs> um, I really enjoy the playful nature of your teachings. And I want to ask you... Um, when it comes to being authentic, what helped you step into your authenticity? Well, I'm gonna give you a bonus on the bonus, and that is that the the the, the bonus core value really is authenticity, and it speaks to um, your willingness to pursue. Again, it goes back to learning, but pursue the trail of your sincere interests as a teacher, um, and it kind of connects with what you're saying before about like what is yoga and who should be the authority on yoga. Cause as soon as, as soon as you make any entity, the authority on something, um, then you start hearing words like should a lot. And, um, I, I used to should all over myself as a teacher. I still do from time to time, but at least <laughs> Don't I can should on yourself. Right? That's messy. Because I thought that yoga, I thought that yoga was this sort of static thing that lived somewhere or somewhere in time that I, if I was going to, to become a yogi, I would have to sort of squeeze myself into this thing that already existed. Mm. Um, I think that's what a, a lot of people nowadays have. I think it's also, that's the stigma of the social media. Oh, you know, sure. trying to squeeze yourself into this cookie cutter role of this is what it looks like to be someone right. who does this action or to be someone who believes in these beliefs. Totally. And I think that now more than ever, we got to learn that, you know, to be a yogi is to be yourself. Right. It's the pursuit of self or the cultivation of self. Um, and you can, you know, you can be whoever you want to be. So I think for me, yoga is a lot about shining a light on the things that we're already doing and choosing to do them on purpose mm. instead of just because. That was great. Mic drop moment. Mic drop moments. Well, you know, it's like the idea that that 
going back to the empowerment piece too, a lot of people come to me as a teacher assuming that they can't already do something that I hold the keys to. Like, I need you to teach me how to breathe. I need you to teach me how to move. I need you to teach me how to focus. I'm like, you're doing all those things all the time. <laughs> I want to learn how to manifest. Mm-hmm. You're all, every moment that you're living, you're manifesting. So, so the idea that, that, that we could take, you know, I wouldn't say you're always handstanding. Like, that's why I say that this, <laughs> the specifics of, of what the practice looks like, um, those kind of skills were not what initially appealed to me about the practice. I think they are appealing and compelling and there's a lot there, there. Um, but these broader uh, uh, tools and techniques and principles of the practice um, are things that we're already quite masterful at, but we just don't apply ourselves to them deliberately mm. or uh, mindfully. And so this, I, I would hope that this is something that's changing, but then I, I also recognize that b- maybe because the yoga is so much more accessible now, it also means there's a lot more ideas about what yoga is and isn't now, and it's it's it, it's all sort of informed by what you're exposed to. Um, nine times out of ten, when I tell somebody that you know that I meet out and about, like that I'm a yoga teacher, I can see them sort of formulating this idea of who I am uh, right in front of me, or assumptions about about uh, what my life must look like, or or. You know, just last night I was I, I was messaging with somebody and um, told them that I, I taught yoga and uh, they're like, wow, like you must be so healthy, like you take such great care of your body and all this different stuff. And I'm like, yes, and also no. <laughs> like there's 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 a lot of what that looks like of of how I practice yoga and what that looks like. It's not strictly a physical thing, um, but I think it's it's to, to my point before that. Our bodies, our bodies essentially are always adapting and responding to what we're doing. Uh, when we become mindful of that and then do things deliberately so that, not necessarily so that some result happens, but with the appreciation that our body's always listening. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's communicate to it clearly and compassionately um, as much as possible. That, that, that's going to kind of create a different outcome for everybody. It can't look like one thing. So many of the yoga practices and assumptions, I think, are just guidelines. You know, start with this. This will get you on the path. Do these mm-hmm. movements. Breathe like this. Uh, uh, don't do these things, yama. Do these things, niyama. Um, but then but then once you're kind of off and, off and rolling, you recognize this. I recognized yoga doesn't live anywhere. There isn't a, a, there isn't a place or an authority or... Um, a model for yoga that exists outside of any person. So sometimes the journey is kind of seeking out, looking out, and then sometimes the journey has to have you diving in and what you might discover inside is not what people were telling you outside. Um, so this is kind of a, a consistent reconciliation process. For me, I think because I've been doing it for so long or from such a relatively young age, and I find this to be true of, of the other uh, teachers and practitioners that were that exposed to yoga, perhaps as teenagers, um, there was like there wasn't a moment in my life as an adult person where I found yoga and then kind of experienced the tr- transformative effects of it. Uh, so it's always been these practices have always been a part of my experiences, at least as an adult. 
And for it to be sustainable in my life, I have to, I have to not reduce them, you know, into a particular idea or model or framework. Um, I have to let them be adaptable and, and a bit more broad and customized to who I want to keep being. I feel that that's really the key, you know, is keeping what serves you and letting go of what doesn't. That's the, the beauty of the Svadhyaya. That's like the being like a jelly bag that... <laughs> a jelly bag? Yeah, you haven't heard that in Light on Yoga? Is that what he says? Yeah. He's, I must have I'm sorry, Light or... on Life. Light on uh, Life. Uh, light on Life, he says, um, you know... It's sitting right there. Yeah, you, you want to be like a... Is it in the a, glossary? Can you, is there a glossary in Light on Life? <laughs> jelly bag. <laughs> <laughs> he says to, to be like a jelly bag um, and... As you're sifting uh, through the, the diamonds, you know, you really keep the the magic of what is your practice and what serves you to be who you are. And I feel confident that, you know... I don't even practice, know what a jelly bag is. You, you make jelly out of it. I think it's kind of like similar to like a, like a, a cheesecloth. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Like a jelly bag. <laughs> <laughs> You can listen. I to gotta it. be I mean, bold. I got well before I can be like one. I we gotta figure out what it is. <laughs> Usually, it goes, it's kind of like if you want to be a yogi, let's figure out what that actually is first. <laughs> well, yogis, but I like the yogis idea. are like jelly bags. I mean, can't argue with that. Uh, so, so the idea, what I heard you say, is like uh, continuously sift through all the content that's out there and, and experience, mm-hmm. but be willing to let some of it kind of trail off and, and be willing to hold on to what works while it works and then also let it go. Mm-hmm. And I and I guess jelly bags do all of those things. Yeah. I just imagine a bag full of jelly doesn't seem <laughs> all, all that capable. Of... Should I say cheesecloth? <laughs> Maybe a, a gold pan? <laughs> Listen, I'll be a jelly bag covered in cheesecloth just beautifully placed on a golden pan well see look at that that's that's really when you're ready to start some imagery for you <laughs> i want to hear <laughs> now your definition of yoga right now <sighs> yoga yoga is the pursuit of self I like that. Do you want to hear what my definition is right now? I want to hear what do you describe that was like five as seconds self? ago. Um, well, self is an evolving nexus of, of experiences, perspectives, preferences, beliefs, uh, uh, knowing, like deep knowing. So I don't... I think the idea of self as being static, sort of this dualistic concept, that there's there's the the dynamics of life, this karmic prakritic shakti world that's always dancing and flowing and changing, and then there's the consistency of 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 the true self, mm-hmm. you know, that's steady and static and eternal. Um, on one hand, I. I understand that, and I can re- I can I can reverberate or I can resonate with the idea of, of the consistent self. Like there is a through line of my whole life experience, even though, you know, the, the way it's looked and how it's 
how it changes moment to moment is is dynamic. Um, but I also I don't you know in this moment I don't really resonate with the idea that there is some stable perfect version of me that I'm tr- I'm clawing and scratching to get back to. Mm. Um, I think that as I as I change and as I grow that that version of myself whatever that's called soul God source is is also expanding too like that we're kind of both in this game together now what that expansion looks like may be different in that realm you know it might not be a linear kind of uh, time tabled uh, expression. Pro- process expression um, so perhaps like there's there's the paradox of that that like everything that has happened or ever will happen is happening now mm. and we experience it linearly so we might call the 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 other side of that coin like static or mm. perfect um but i i just i think there's more there's more nuance in that so i do remember your question um, <laughs> <laughs> thank god i just remembered it um so so yeah i would the, the pursuit of self also has to be the, the continued cultivation and recultivation of self mm. i like that a lot i really enjoy that definition of yoga and also diving deeper into the self um i feel that you know in today's society with so many distractions and so many things that are taking us away from our practice, what would be five habits that yogis can practice to really deepen their progress towards achieving their goals in yoga? You know, sometimes when people record podcasts, they'll like send over a list of questions to the the person being interviewed yep. so they can like you know come up with their perfect day but, it's, me. It, but it's meant I to seem candid on the spot. yeah so let's just be clear these are i, I was not prepared <laughs> no one's prepared Three, on yeah. the yoga revealed podcast Damn. okay That's five the whole purpose of it five tips for yogis habits five habits 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 things that they can do on a daily basis to really amplify how they're able to progress on their yoga whether that be mental, physical, spiritual, yoga in general, habits that they can do to really feel progress in their practice. Well, you know, what's interesting about yoga or what's convenient about yoga is that all this is is contained within the yoga system, you know. Um, so we don't have to really look so far. It's essentially the yoga system is aimed at creating healthy habits for your progress. Um, so it's not going to sound particularly innovative, what I'm going to say, but like I think having a daily practice of meditation, of pranayama, of asana. And to me, that doesn't, certainly in my life, that doesn't look like every morning I make my tea and then I sit and I do my nadi shodhana and then I unroll my mat and I practice, you know, asana. But I think things that you can do to to get a handle on your nervous system, I would, I would consider that pranayama. So anything that kind of falls into the category of... of uh, nervous system regulation, uh, breath work, things that you can do to detach a little bit from from this physical linear uh, karmic world and put your attention on possibility um, and on uh, uh, infinity mm. <laughs> and on vision. Uh, I might call that meditation is beneficial. 
and then things that you can do on the other side to then dive into your physicality and to be here and to to feel uh, your body and your environment, which I might call movement um, or asana. And I don't know that that needs to be something that you boundary. Like I do this for 10 minutes, I do this for five minutes, I do this for an hour. Um, but if it's not a habit, it's nice to put boundaries on it until it becomes a way of life so that then it can find its way. It's like, again, you're always moving, you're always focusing, you're always breathing. Um, and you can do that in, in, in your yoga meditation room, or you can even do those things at the post office and grocery store. Usually <laughs> the options people give cause everyone seems to go. Um, so yeah, I think th those are at least three. Three, three beneficial things. Um, I also, I'm, I'm going to say like Swadhyaya, uh, the notion of self-study is sometimes, um, Sva is, is the reflexive verb self and, and Vyaya is to like, to invest in or to, to look, to look at, to, to go inward. Um, so to, to invest in yourself or to study yourself, um, sometimes it's translated as the study of spiritual texts. You ever heard this? Yes. And like that makes sense to me in that, you know, the historical context of the sutras, for example, um, how else would you learn about yourself if you did, if you weren't studying the spiritual texts? Um, but now there's there's so many things that I would consider to be spiritual texts, whether that's a book on anatomy and biomechanics, whether that's information about our history and understanding how we got here. Um, whether that's books on quantum physics or, or personal development or yoga, um, or if it's an online course, like there's, there's so many different ways that we can learn more about who we are. So I would say also a, a, a healthy habit number four would be to learn, but to, mm -hmm. to read, to always be in, in ingesting something. I learn a ton from podcasts. So everyone that's listening right now is perhaps checking that box. Um, <laughs> And tip number five, I'm going to say, give yourself permission. And this maybe isn't a habit, but more of a, a of a mantra or, or just a, again, a way of life, but give yourself permission to play and give yourself permission to step outside the box, whatever that box looks like for you. If that looks like doing asana in perfect alignment, play for you might just be breaking some of those rules sometimes and and f or if you were taught to sequence in a particular way play might be sequence in a complete you know do something completely different or if, if what you do is yoga um go take a trampolining class or go take a hip-hop class or go just uh whatever whatever looks different for you than what you're used to make it a point to do that every day in some way um and that's going to be something that each individual have to reflect on. But I think for me, even just setting that intention, um, I get invitations all the time from people, life, the universe that are like, Hey, you want to come to this thing? And my first inclination is usually, Oh no, I don't do that. And then I have to be like, Oh, this is an opportunity for me to do something new. And that I would say that is, that is the tip, the number one tip that probably informs what I teach now more than anything, because I have a larger, um, pool of resources and ideas and experiences to pull from that then I can kind of repackage and and, and uh, repurpose for people interested in yoga. Hmm. I like that a lot. 
I like those five tips. Those are on point. Yes. <laughs> it's a good thing you didn't send me these questions before. I would have come up with some other yeah. preconceived. BS, like, yeah. Yeah. We wouldn't want that. <laughs> Not at all. That'd be that yoga fresh. concealed. Trying to reveal this shit. Yeah. I want it off the top of the dome. Yep. Off the of the dome. Uh, well, with that, I would love to hear one golden nugget that you can leave the Yoga Revealed audience that will help them those times that are tough, those times that are rough, those times that you just don't want to get up and practice. Maybe you're feeling down, you're feeling defeated. Something to uplift them and inspire them to keep on the yoga practice and stay on their yogic path. Well, what I appreciate hearing in those moments more than anything is that it's okay. And it's not, uh, it's not necessarily the biggest, hugest deal that you think it is. And we've all been there. And you can fall down and stay down for a while and you'll pick yourself up again. And um, you got this. I like that. Simple, kind, and compassionate. It's what I would want to hear. And often what I do need to hear. And what I'm grateful that I do get to hear when I'm in those moments too. I think I, 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 I mentor a fair amount of teachers and I find that the most helpful thing that I tell them, maybe I shouldn't give this information away for free or I'll lose I'm all my clients. I'm writing this down right now. <laughs> but you know, people, this goes along with social media. I'm sure you experience this all the time, Andrew. I mean, like I look at your social media and I'm like, damn, Andrew has got the life. Like he is living. Like, like, um, what a, what a blessed, like, uh, I don't say lucky because I, I know how much you invest in, in the life that you are creating and have created, but we are so inundated with the perception of perfection or blessedness that we see in other people's lives. Um, that when we are experiencing those moments of struggle, it can feel like everybody else out there is having such a great time and we're the only ones that are struggling with this. So when my, when my clients share their, their teaching frustrations with me um, and I can say to them, oh yeah, I've experienced that too. In fact, I experienced that last week, <laughs> you know, but whatever their perception of where I am and the, and the, the difficulties I face, just having that, that empathy and that resonance to know that we really are all in this together. And regardless of, of the image we put out on social media, um, regardless of whatever perceptions there might be about us, um, no one is immune from the human experience. And I don't think the goal of yoga is to render you immune from being a human. If anything, it's going to make you more sensitive to what it means to be a human. Um, and as soon as I let go of the notion of attainment, that I was going to arrive at this place where I would have had it all figured out and I could just coast through life, um, I don't want to say everything got easier, but I, I certainly took a big load off my shoulders because mm. now I'm just, I'm on the path and, and I, I'm going to keep going on the path and I'm going to feel all the things and how are you doing? Yeah, you, know? you have the opportunity to be rather than to try to push sure. yeah definitely permission permission to be where you are mm, i like that a lot and i i've i'm stoked because i feel like the future is bright and you know with all of the climactic experiences and the the 
really intense, you know, global warming and, you know, crazy presidents and all this jazz <laughs> that's going on, like the beauty of our current time is that we all are connected mm-hmm. and we all can continue to uplift each other and to strive to really be of support to one another so that we can all thrive together. Yeah. And I feel like we live in a perfect storm of magic. That's beautiful. Yeah, I, I would agree. Awesome. And that's why we're homies. And thank you for um, thank you for all the, the magic that you put out in the world. Like, it's super potent. People feel it from you even without you saying anything, just by you being who you are. So the fact that you aren't just who you are, but you make it a point to share who you are in as many different ways as you can, um, and that your message is so consistently one of empowerment and upliftment uh, is really beautiful. And I'm... I'm I said it. I said it off the mic, but I'll say it on the on the mic. As as one of your first teachers, I am not only super proud of you, but I'm also incredibly inspired by you and and honored to to be uh, not just in your life still, but but I'm honored by your studentship and mm-hmm. your your willingness to continuously put me in that role. It's it's a high honor. So thank you. Well, as long as you keep evolving, I'll st- still keep coming to class, you know? All right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, with that being said, I really want to hear where our listeners can find you, uh, what's coming up in the world of Rocky, and when we can jump into the next class. Word, word, word. Um, well, I offer ongoing classes online on Yoga International. I have some other some other digital outlets where, where you can find me. Um you can certainly follow me on Instagram. I'm Rocky Heron, at Rocky Heron. My website is almost finished being under construction. That's also rockyheron.com, uh, where you can see my event calendar. A lot of what I have coming up right now are, are teacher trainings. I'll be leading a month-long 200-hour immersion in uh, Berlin, Germany, throughout the month of July, also teaching a vinyasa teacher tune-up out there. I'll be at Wanderlust, San Francisco next weekend. You know, it's like all these things, like mm-hmm. diverse things in diverse places. But um, the best place to kind of get real-time updates on where I'll be and when would be my website. And I always post on, on social media and such. So you can find me there. And I will also say a, a, a fair amount of the work that I'm doing right now is in the area of teacher mentorship. So I kind of have a rotation of teachers that I am able to fit into my schedule. But if any of your listeners are wanting to um, uh, make an investment in their professional development. Uh, I am, I am happy to talk and support uh, those that would be a good fit for my guidance. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. The Yoga Revealed listeners are brighter and lighter for your wisdom, and we appreciate you. And most importantly, I appreciate you, Rocky. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you, Andrew. I appreciate you, and I appreciate your appreciation. Namaste. Much love. Namaste. Thank you for tuning into this episode of the Yoga Revealed podcast and being a part of this thriving community. In a time like now, we need your presence more than ever. So share these episodes with people who you love and want to see shine. Be sure to check out Rocky Heron on Instagram at Rocky Heron. For daily inspiration, visit his website for details on his trainings and online teachings at RockyHeron.com. For upcoming events and workshops worldwide, you can also check out his website as well. Follow our journey 
on Instagram at Yoga Reveal and see these episodes live on our IGTV. Give us a five-star review if you truly appreciate the inspiring interviews we do. This is a community shaped by you. Let's shine bright and stay forever true. Until next time, blessings and namaste. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.